Welcome to the podcast of New City Church. We hope this podcast inspires you on your journey of inward and outward transformation. Please join us on Sundays. You can find more information on our website, grownewcity.church. God bless you. I want to I want to focus on the concept of attention this morning because it's so powerful. Adrian Marie Brown says that uh what you pay attention to grows. And I think that's that's really true in many instances. So let's just talk about attention for a little bit. Um, I know that there are some teachers in the in the chat. I would love to hear like, what is your like attention? What do you say when you need students' attention? Like uh, one, two, three, all eyes on me, or like, and then like people have to respond. You know, like what is your like classroom management attention thing? Uh, because people who have to manage a classroom know that attention is valuable, and that attention is powerful, and that when one person is paying attention, that other people, uh, it helps other people to pay attention. Um, uh, in, in a totally different field, in manufacturing, when there's like a, a conveyor belt where there's like a line of a lot of different people and they're making like a car, for example, or making different parts, um, the one of the things that they say in manufacturing is you have to make um, your mistakes very obvious. You have to you have to make it um, like your mistakes really stand out. Make them easy to pay attention to because attention is so powerful that if you make a mistake, like for example, um, a safety feature in a car, if a machine stops working, it's designed to make it very obvious to pay attention to because attention is so powerful. Um, I, I see folks saying, um, uh, hey, hey, pre-K, hey, hey, pre-K, do the clap, hello, change makers, yes. Um, hey, everybody, hey, what? Hey, everybody, hey, what? I love that, yeah. And, um, uh, you know, like so much of, uh, uh, for the parents who have had to go through COVID, like you know how valuable <laughs> attention is right like you know how valuable how much time you have with each particular activity or toy I was just with uh, uh, some parents the other day and um, they gave their child a hat to like you know like for baby it was like a baby and it was like oh a hat and it had lots of colors on it and they're like we have 90 seconds <laughs> you know like every activity is like I am measuring out by the minute what the attention span uh, is like. And, and people who know about uh, personal transformation know how important transfer, uh, attention is. People know that if you uh, want to pay attention to growing your energy, then it's like, okay, well, start an energy journal of like really starting to track like where is your energy going? Who is sucking away your energy? Who is extracting from you? And then what are the energy giving activities? And like, okay, let's start to pay attention to, uh, to those activities. Um, and, uh, uh, and, and sometimes for, for people who want to like train for a marathon, it's like, okay, you have to pay attention. And it's so much attention that it's not, I mean, marathon, there are a couple marathoners in, in the chat. Um, what are the things you're paying attention to, right? Like it's not just the distance. It's also what, like your gait, how your shoes feel, you're paying attention to water, you're paying attention to the conditions. Like there's a certain like 
presence of mind that says that like attention makes like things that are like passively impossible actively possible like if we just kind of like pay attention then something can happen something new can emerge um and and uh, uh and i think that that's relevant on the social justice scale as well it's relevant um for example uh um do you all, for those of you who live in uh, Minneapolis, do you remember there was the housing encampment of primarily Native American folks along the highway? Uh, was that Highway 55? And it was like, for those of you who weren't in Minneapolis, it was huge. Like it was like in 2019, I think, it was like two tents that turned into like the entire stretch of highway over the course of weeks of people just like pouring in. And all of a sudden, like, that because it was along the highway, because people were looking at it and seeing it, paying attention to it, all of a sudden, there was political will. And all of a sudden, uh, we found a bunch of money to be able to address that because there was, like, attention on it. And we saw, um, uh, and uh, kind of, for better or for worse, a similar dynamic uh, after the uprising for example, in Powderhorn Park, the park that is very close to where New City meets when we are in person, uh, and we heard the um, uh, how the political conversation about homelessness during COVID changed when it was like everyone was when it was like two or three tents, you know, here or there scattered everywhere, versus when everyone uh, uh, kept like yeah, the Wall of Forgotten Natives was uh, what that was called along the highway. But do you remember in Powderhorn Park, it was like what, like hundreds of people. It was like the, a density of, of tents. Like there was like an internal infrastructure that had to be built because of how many people were there. And all of a sudden, the entire conversation about homelessness during COVID changed in our city because there was something to pay attention to. There was like a, like a foothold. There was an image. There was something that broke our hearts when we saw it that wasn't there before and it's um and it's kind of hard because like that homelessness encampment in powderhorn was kind of broken up and and the city said hey because of public health like we can have more than 20 tents in one place which i think from a public health standpoint was a positive move and also like that meant that that pressure was released because our attention was dispersed our attention went back to getting used to seeing, you know, just 20 families living out in 97 degree heat in the summer in a tent with no access to like basic human needs instead of 200, 600 people. And, th and that really changed because our attention shifted. Um, uh, the chat says one of the numbers thrown around were 600 people in Powderhorn and it looked like more like 400. Like, it was, I mean, Powderhorn is one of the biggest parks in the city of Minneapolis, and it was, like, cramped. Like, it was, it, it was things were really close. And people who lived there knew it, right? And, and there was, like, a, there was a certain relief to that uh, encampment being uh, dispersed because it was, like, the, um, uh, the attention that it required was uh, dispersed. And so then it was, like, okay, we can relax a little bit. But in social change, that's kind of complex because on one hand, of course, we care about public health and of course, we care about what it means for people to have their needs met. And also, like, uh, it's, com it's complex because the 
political attention is not there anymore. And so much of social change has to do with attention. And so what, what I'm trying to say is <laughs> your personal transformation requires attention and social transformation requires attention. It's almost as if attention is the currency of transformation. And we are being called to like steward that in very particular ways. The, the, like that, that type of attention that we need to be paying is, is uh, very, very crucial. We live in an, an attention economy. Have you ever heard that phrase gone around? Where basically apps are like, whoever, whoever figures out a way for people to stare at our app the longest wins. Because it's an attention economy. You get uh, dollars for eyeballs. Um, and that's why there are all these insidious algorithms in social media not uh, because necessarily they intend to hack into our lives, but because they hack into our lives for our attention. So we have to be paying attention. And so much of Jesus' teachings were about being watchful. Do you ever notice that if you read through the Gospels, which are the biographies of Jesus, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, that so much of Jesus is like, just stay watchful. The thief comes in the night. Um, uh, the the uh, Jesus says, um, seek first the kingdom of God. Pay attention to the kingdom of God first, and then everything else will be figured out. And and so much of our ritual as Christians comes from direction of attention. Like the reason why we worship, the reason why worship, by the way, is simultaneously so potentially transformative or potentially. Uh, 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 meaningless is because it all relies on attention. Like your transformation in this worship service, a hundred percent counts on how much you are paying attention to the spirit of God in your life in this worship service. Like so much of the reason why we gather together is because like this is the set aside space where you get your head and your heart and your gut into a, a place of receptivity and noticing things to say, God, I want to pay attention to you. I want to pay attention to the Prince of Peace. I want to pay attention to the mother of us all. I want to pay attention to the Lord of life. I want to pay attention to these things that I deeply seek and I just get so caught up in everyday busyness that I forget what I'm supposed to be paying attention to. But if current, if attention truly is the currency of transformation and we're not paying attention to what God is doing, then who are we investing in? So, um, so we are just simply trying to train ourselves, um, to train our hearts, to train for love training is sometimes what I call um, worship. Because when we pay attention to God, everything else changes underneath it. And we see that in the text today, when we pay attention to God, everything else changes underneath it. There's a couple things that I want to point out here. So first of all, I love, like uh, stood out to many of you, the call out of the spirit of gentleness. Like, uh, like what the author of Galatians is trying to say is like, um, so I know that it's easy to get passionate about God and your faith because God is the source of all life and makes a big difference. Like if you continue these spiritual practices, it starts to make a big difference. And sometimes people who are earlier in their spiritual maturity 
experience something that makes a big difference. And then they kind of like uh, overly rigidly or overzealously kind of like force people into these practices. Because it was like, this was amazing for me. Now you have to do that same thing. And, and, and Paul is like, I love the passion, keep the passion, but like approach with a spirit of gentleness. When you see someone who is not living into the liberating love of God, when you see someone who is denying wholeness, who is denying uh, their own belovedness or the belovedness of others, approach, uh, just know that the spirit of gentleness is available to you and that gentleness is there to create a certain type of attention. Because uh, forcefulness doesn't require a lot of attention. If someone were like, Tyler, I need you to hit, uh, uh, you know, like in the, the carnival, they have that thing where it's like, use a mallet to hit the thing. Like, how much attention does that take? It's about two seconds. Like, I'm paying attention. A lot of my body is like really concerning into that. You know, obviously it soars right up to the very top little ding and then I get a big teddy bear or whatever. But if you were to say like, hey, I have a bowl full of rice and I need you to pay attention and gently take each grain of rice and put it into another bowl, all of a sudden, what it's like a whole transformation, like your whole faculty is transformed. All of a sudden, it's like my whole being is engrossed in this in a sustained way. And that's what the spirit of gentleness allows. Um, uh, and, uh, and that has everything to do with interpersonal correction, like that spirit of gentleness. Um, uh, and I, I love in the chat, pride is paying attention and acknowledging the LGBTQ community. Um, that's a gr another great example of like, um, you know, people are like, well, whoa, what about straight pride? When am I going to get a, when is there going to be a straight pride parade? And it's like, I don't know. Have you been to like anywhere? <laughs> Have you been to a sidewalk? Because it seems like it's a straight pride parade, like pretty much across the board everywhere. And LGBTQ pride is the, is the time when we say like, queer lives matter so much that we're going to dedicate ourselves to this because our attention matters and we want to transform society in this kind of way. So it's kind of like, <laughs> You know what I mean, though? It's, it's like there's, there's a level of attention. And um, another one of the gifts of attention and that spirit of gentleness is discernment. Um, <laughs> go to hell quickly is, is what we hear about straight pride. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's like, you know, straight pride is just like the Chick-fil-A drive-thru. Absolutely, Lee, where it's just like <laughs> every Monday through Saturday, there's a, there's a straight pride going on. Um, and so like, I, uh, I just want to also, so yeah, yeah. So this, this spirit of gentleness also gives us discernment. And this is important because something that people at New City love to talk about is, um, boundaries. People at New City love talking about boundaries. I just need to maintain my boundaries. I just need to honor boundaries. The problem with this is that I forgot my boundaries. Like boundaries are a very important concept. And, uh, in that reading that we had, we heard two very important dynamics. So one of them was bear one another's burden. And another one was for all must carry their own load. Whew! I love this nuance that Galatians is serving where it's like as a community, of course, like 
We look out for each other, and we who believe in collective liberation have to see the oppression of anyone as the oppression of ourselves, and, and like the barrier of anyone being free, the barrier to us being free. Like we have to um, uh, see each other at each other's burdens as our own. Like there is a certain type of of way that we have to look out for each other. Absolutely, that is true. And in the same paragraph, the author of Galatians says for all must carry their own loads. And that's kind of like the boundaries of like, there, we have to understand what our work is and what other people's work is. What our work is and what other people's work is. Allowing people to carry their own load is like allowing us to see what God's calling is for our lives, using discernment to understand what our calling is, and then allowing other people to discern their call and to do that. And like both of those things are true. Like both bear one another's burden and allow people to do their own work. Both of these are true. That is the Christian ethic of boundaries is like, hey, um, I need you to survive. Like we are symbiotic and we have to look out for each other. And there are certain doors that only you can unlock and there's certain development that only you can have and um like this is a really important um uh like it's like there are two poles that we're traveling back and forth between in in christian uh discernment and, and in christian relationship and i think that a lot of people um in chaotic situations have a hard time knowing what their boundaries are which of course brings me to George Floyd Square. Um, I'd be curious, um, uh, the folks who live in Minneapolis, what do you think about George Floyd Square? Like, what do you think about, um, for those of you who are joining us from all around the country, hi, we're so glad that we're, you're here. Um, so George Floyd Square is the site where the racist murder of George Floyd happened at 38th in Chicago. Um, for a year, uh, community builders have blocked out, uh, like, basically like two square blocks of, of uh, George Floyd Square completely blocked into traffic. And, um, and like just two days ago, I'm totally losing myself. Um, we um, <laughs> uh, opened up the lanes of traffic through George Floyd Square. They, they opened, they, it wasn't like they opened up both of the lanes, they opened up one and then split into two lanes. Um, because as it turns out, Chicago Avenue is also like one of the most significant thorough traffic thoroughfares in the city of Minneapolis. The, the five bus line that runs through Chicago is the most ridden bus line in the city of Minneapolis. So like, I'm, I'm kind of curious um, uh, uh, what you all think from the, for the folks who live in Minneapolis. Um, uh, one person says, personally, I think it's a really important monument, not just for George Floyd, but really for the movement surrounding racism and police brutality in America. A reminder that this was a tragedy and a reminder of what we have to fight for. Absolutely. Like there's, um, uh, for those of you who haven't been, like there's a giant um, fist sculpture that's like right there in the middle. People built out like garden, standing garden plots and um, there are like flowers arranged in, uh, in spirals and in murals everywhere. Like all of those things are monuments, not just to Mr. Floyd's life, which of course uh, has infinite measure and, and infinite matter, just like uh, as a child of God, it would. 
but also because it's like, this is reminding us of who we as a community were, what we as a movement were in a very particular time. And that's important because of attention. This is, uh, like, monuments help us to remember, to pay attention to who we were, to help decide who we are becoming. Um, one person says, I felt too soon, and I was not surprised to hear the city had not actually coordinated with the square organizers. Another person says, there's no easy answer, and we affected community members on both sides of open and don't open. I don't know what to think. Agreed, it needs to stay. I think that there's particular power in the fact that it's a living monument. It doesn't look like any monument in this country that I know about. It's not just like a statue. It's about community members attending to it. That's really true. Symbol of importance of people versus money. Sure, sure, sure. Uh, if we can close Nicolette for a Kmart, we can close George Floyd Square until community demands are met. Okay, for those of you who are not Minneapolitans, Nicolette is another like really major street. There was a Kmart that bought like a huge lot that was like completely over. So it was like, instead of being a continuous street, Nicolette was just blocked by Kmart's huge big box store. And it like destroyed so much of the community because the economic thoroughfare was destroyed. So north of it became 8th Street and then south of it became some stuff, but there wasn't like that like north-south connection. And it, every city organizer in the world refers to it as the mistake on lake. Like, it's just this huge thing. And how long has it taken for that Kmart to get taken out of commission? It was like 30 years. So it's like, why is it that this Kmart uh, for 30 years can occupy like and, and obstruct a major thoroughfare? which also got in the way of emergency vehicles trying to get to neighborhoods, which also <laughs> obstructed uh, uh, economic growth. And like, why can't that same logic be applied to uh, what we're talking about here? Um, Lee brings up that there are 24 demands at George Floyd Square. So I, I think that like one of the other things to be clear is that the organizers at George Floyd Square were like, hey, this is what we would like to see before this is opened up. Um, yeah, the Kmart is literally just sitting empty there now, but if anyone hasn't been, the demands are actually on the Wikipedia of all places, so check it out. <laughs> yeah, um, one person says, for me, it is a sacred space of great healing and community togetherness. That being said, I want to listen to the voices of the folks who are most involved. Yeah, like, I, um, I used to live at 38th in Chicago. Like, I had the, I <laughs> had an apartment that's, like, one of, if not the closest residents to George Floyd Square, like, in that area. And, um, and I moved, I had moved out of that building, like, a year before, but I know what it's like to live in that building, and I could see how that, as a resident, that would perhaps be difficult for me. So, like, there is, um, there is a lot of, there's a lot there, but for the sake of today, and uh, for the sake of our spiritual journey, I want to pose the question of what is receiving the attention in this move? What is receiving the attention? Because if we can't satisfactorily answer that, then we're already undermining all of our ability to create transformation in the world. I was there at... Um, uh, at George Floyd Square at, on the same day that it was being opened. 
And um, first of all, like having people come at five o'clock in the morning to do this is, I feel like so um, thief in the night tactics. <laughs> like why wasn't the mayor there? Why wasn't the city council there to have a ceremony? Why weren't the organizers of that space allowed to like speak and like name what this space has been? Why weren't there artists? Why wasn't Mayada invited? Like, there's so many questions. I Why wasn't Mayada invited is the feeling that I have for every gathering that I go to. But it's like, yeah, what uh, what is going on here? And like, um, of course, as is brought up in the comments, like Agape, uh, which was a community organization, is a community-based organization, was part of this, right? So like, it's like, um, it's I, I think we really have to, use the spiritual maturity muscle to not allow ourselves to go into binaries. Like there's like, um, it's not just one clear good or one clear bad, but I think what I'm trying to ask is like, what is being paid attention to here? And my fear as I was at George Floyd Square walking through seeing people being able to make speeches, impromptu speeches in the center of the square, seeing, um, a free library for, for people, like extensive library, not one of those boxes, but like a library for people to be able to read uh, and, and get a political education. And looking at these murals, looking at on the ground, these patterns of poems that people read and wrote and framed and flowers in spirals and, and toys that looked like, you know, a kid's favorite toy that they donated to this space that's sitting there on the ground in this formation. And it's like, I'm, I'm okay with the reopening of Minneapolis as far as the quality of attention is not changed. And I'm scared of the reopening of George Floyd Square because of what I worry will change the quality of attention. Like one part of me is like, I think it's valuable for the most significant thoroughfare in the city of Minneapolis to have this huge reminder every uh, day. And another side is like, I'm worried that this will be like a drive by. Um, I'm worried that um, th this will um, be something that you pass, that you get used to seeing. And, if that happens, then the movement loses its attention energy. And that's what I'm most afraid of. Um, when I was in the, and I'll close with this, um, when I was in the square, um, and then like right off the square, there's a, a art installation of um, like tombstones, stylized tombstones of people who have died, who have been murdered by police. And, um, and I just sat there this was the, I've been to George Floyd many, many times, but this was the first time that I was the only person in that graveyard. And it kind of, maybe it was the love training from worshiping every week. Maybe it was from like the uh, new city community all like holding each other. But all of a sudden I felt this like surge of spiritual energy coming up from the ground of all the prayers that have entered this space. It was like the, the prayers of the visitors, but also the prayers of the people who had passed away. It was like, I was becoming saturated like a sponge, like like kind of like light beams shooting out of my eyes and like smoke coming out of my ears. Like it was like this like surge of spiritual energy, of the, of the love of God, of a resurrection energy that is so alive in, on a cellular level in my body.
And for those of you who have had these types of experiences, you know, like, it is both profoundly comforting and profoundly disturbing. Comforting because, like, God is a God of love and you know that God's looking out for you. But disturbing because it's, you're all of a sudden, like, mystically very aware how there is something larger at play right now. That there is a, a, a mighty, expansive force that is moving in you that that you could not withstand if you needed to like there is like a whoa, a groundswell of it and I was just completely struck I had to sit next to the weeping willow tree that was there and allow kind of the fawns of this tree to blow in the wind and to kind of like bring me back because it was like the prayers embedded in that space are enough to transform any community and what I'm fearful of with this just kind of opening up to, to more ho-hum, traffic, whatever, whatever, is that the spiritual, the thick prayerful energy that is there will be lost. And, and, then, and then the movement stops. And I think that like we as a community really have to pay attention, not just to of course, the things that organizers are talking about, of course, um, the mayoral election that are coming up, the midterms elections that are coming up for all of you across the country and, and uh, the, any type of political engagement for those of you who are joining from other countries. But also pay attention to the soul of our community. Pay attention to the deep, ineffable, unspeakable, unnameable truths that are there and allow for that to inform our discourse just as much as um, political consequence. I, uh, being part of community is um, an, ex an exercise in engaging reality and of uh, an embodying power. And that's what we can continue to do no matter what comes next. Amen? Amen. <laughs>